Okay, this coming Shabbos we have the uh, distinct privilege of a double parsha, Nitzavim and Vayelach. So we will, uh, as usual, give our brief overview and then delve into some psukim which are not only timely because they're part of the parsha, but psukim which are very timely because of uh, the time of year Elul. And I shudder to say that Rosh Hashanah is a week from tomorrow night. Ask me how prepared the Rosh Hashanah and Shabbos Shuvah rushes are. So yeah, I haven't started yet. Okay, Parsha's Nitzavim, page 1086 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Let's uh, quickly go through a uh, overview and then delve into these very, very exciting psukim. So Nitzavim begins with a renewal, as our scroll says, the renewal of the covenant, which is the theme really of all of Sefer Dvar. Moshe Rabbeinu keeps reminding the Jewish people as they stand on the cusp of entering the land, Hayom, 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 that the acceptance of Torah should be as real for you today as if it happened, as if Mount Sinai, Har Sinai happened today. He says, you're all standing today before God. And then he spells out their distinct groups, from the heads of the tribes to the elders, the top the children, the wives, the women, the converts, everybody. From the cutter of wood to the carrier of water, you're all here. And why? In order to renew your covenant, because everyone has equal access to the Almighty. We're all part of the Jewish people. We're all part of one unified whole. And in that context, he continues, Who's part of that covenant? Who's part of that contractual agreement? Those who are here today, and those who are not here today. Right? We're not going to get into this right now, but there's a big discussion. A lot of younger generation want to come along and say, Why am I obligated? Why am I bound by the commitment my ancestors gave to God, Nasa Vinishma, we will do and we will listen. I'm not interested. I didn't sign up. Not for me. I'm not interested. So people will say, why am I bound by the commitment of the earlier generations? So here the Torah anticipates and addresses exactly that point. Moshe says, this covenant is true not only with you, it's a corporate agreement. It's not a promise which is passed on to the next generation. In other words, if my father made you a promise, it doesn't mean I'm bound by it. But what if I'm part of a corporate agreement? What if I'm part of a, of a constitutional agreement? That's not bound just to my parent. That is something which is more universal to me as well. So Moshe says, those who are here today, as well as those who are not here today. And the warning against idolatry, if part of our covenant is an exclusive arrangement, it's an exclusive, exclusive relationship with Hashem, then, then uh, the logical continuation of that is that there's a prohibition of idolatry. You can't worship others. And the Torah goes on and elaborates that, as is done a number of times in Sefer Dvarim. Then on page 1090, we have the uh, promise, Ki ma'ila Torah says, what's going to happen? Pasuk base verse 2, Some suggest that we are seeing this in our time. Unfortunately, not to the degree that we would wish for. But this is a prophecy or a promise anticipating a time of great Jewish renewal. We will have drifted from God. We'll worship idols. We will have foreign influences and foreign values. But then there'll be a huge national return. There'll be a huge sense of longing for greater spirituality, for more, to return to the Almighty, the promise. We will come back. If we return to God, God will return to us. There will be kind of a a, uh, precursor to redemption, an era of national return. 
And then we have the Pesukim that tell us the Torah is accessible to us. It's exactly what we're going to look at today. And then the end of the parsha, the first parsha, Natsavim, God says, hayom. Again, we see the emphasis on today, Hayom. Life and death. You have Chaim, uh, life and good, death and bad. This is what I'm commanding you today. Accept life. Vacharta Bachaim. Choose life. Choose life. And then we have Parshas Vayelach. Moshe takes leave Vayelach Moshe. And he says, I'm 120 years old today. I can no longer do this. I'm 120. I'm ready to retire to Boca. I've had it. Chizku v'imsu. And now we have the introduction of a phrase which we're going to see repeated. It's, uh, it's really the transition from the end of Dvarim to the beginning of the book of Yehoshua, of Joshua. Chizku v'imsu. Moshe tells them, be strong and be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be broken. Because Hashem is with you. So, you know, there's a possibility we'll have to strike Syria and Iran says they're going to strike Israel. Don't be afraid and don't be broken. Hashem will be with you. There's a possibility Iran's going to go nuclear. There's a po- don't be afraid. Do everything you have to do. Let fear drive you to human initiative. Do everything you have to do, but don't be afraid. Hashem alokecho hu haolechimach. Lo yarpecha velo yazveka. God is with you. Don't be afraid. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to forget you. Stick with Hashem and He will... And he will stick with you. So this expression, chizku v'imtsu, be strong and be courageous, is what Moshe tells the people. And then it's what Yoshua, it's exactly where he picks up. If you open up the book of Joshua, in the very first chapter, Yoshua is telling the people, rachazak v'amatz, be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. In other words, you don't need to be told, be strong and be courageous when everything's going well. It's in moments of great transition, of leadership. It's in moments of great vulnerability and fragility. It's in moments of great exposure or weakness it's a moment of great threat that you need to be told and that's what Moshe tells them as they're about to go into the land with this massive transition in their lives really a formidable challenge to transition from a slave nation into a free 40 year incubator in the desert in which they learned what it means to be free but now they're going to go set up a society they're leaving the cocoon of the desert in which everything was miraculously and supernaturally provided for them, and they're going to enter the real world, so to say. That's very fearful. Be strong and be courageous. Don't worry. The way God was with you through the desert, when you saw the miracles, God is going behind the scenes, but He'll equally be with you. It may not be as vivid, it may not be as, as obvious, but He'll still be, he'll be with you. This Yom Kippur is the 40th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. This Kol Nidre night, this Yom Kippur. God's behind the scenes, but His miracles today are as much as His miracles were when we traveled through the desert and when we conquered the land of Israel to begin with. It's when we think that we are responsible for our own destiny, when we think we rely on the other nations. We say in davening every morning, Al tivtichu binidivim. Don't rely on princes and diplomats. Don't rely on, on leaders of nations. If you place all your faith in them, their decision-making, their cabinets, and you cut God out, and God says, you don't need me? I'm not needed here? Okay, I'll look away. Good luck. Hope everything works out well. But I'll tip to Divim. When we, of course, lobby, and we um, advocate, and we do everything we're supposed to do, but we know that in the end, it's all up to the Almighty, then God says, you put your trust in me, I'm going to show up. I'm going to take care of you. I'll be there for you. So that's the Torah Remember and be strong. And then we have Hakel. This is the mitzvah following the Shemitah cycle, the seven year sabbatical cycle. The gather in Jerusalem, a platform is built, and the king 
reads from the Torah in front of the entire nation. Hakel is a gathering of the entire Jewish people, um, including children, even young children who can't comprehend or understand what's happening. Today we don't have Hakel, the mitzvah per se, but we have a, nevertheless a remembrance of Hakel. In the year following the sabbatical cycle, we still have in Jerusalem and Yerushalayim today, everyone gathers at the Kotel, and we have a reading of the Torah, and we have a reenactment of the Hakel ceremony. Moshe Rabbeinu's end draw nears. He knows, end draw near. He knows he's going to die. This is one of the most moving, moving sections to me of the whole Torah. When Moshe knows he's going to die, and frankly he has, he dies the way he lives, very, very lonely. He climbs on a mountain by himself. There's no funeral. There are no eulogies. There's no weeping. There are no mourners. And Moshe knows that time is coming close. Frankly, he doesn't need any of that. Because he has the company of the only one he cares to have the company of, and that is Karsh Borcha, the Almighty Himself. It's a very powerful, very, very powerful passage. So here Moshe says, Hein karvuya mecha lamus. He says, Your days are drawing near to die. It's a euphemism. Your days means his days. Karas Yoshua, call Joshua. Stand at the Oamoid, Vayelech Moshe Yeshua, and they go. The transition is beginning to take place. And we have the Torah as testimony. We have. Um, Verse 19, page 1096. This is the Torah obligation incumbent on us to write a Sefer Torah. We have obligation to write a Sefer Torah. We have an obligation to write a Torah. Torah is called a song. That in itself is worthy of explanation. Why is the Torah called a Shira, a song? It's not a song, it's a law book, it's a history book, it's a book of morals, parable. Why is it called a song? It's interesting, the Torah is called a song. That's for another time. But there's an obligation to write a Torah. How do you fulfill that obligation? How many of us have commissioned the writing of a Torah? Can you fulfill it through commissioning a scribe? Do you have to write it yourself? Do you have to write the entire Torah? Can you sponsor a, a parsha, a chapter, a verse, write a letter? Yeah. Can many people join together? Do you fulfill the mitzvah if you donate it to the shul? So there's a lot of big discussion about this halacha. There's an opinion, a famous opinion of the Rosh who says that one fulfills this mitzvah today by owning Svarim, Jewish books. Why did the Torah say you have an obligation to write a Torah? Because that's how you learned in those days. They didn't have a printing press. They didn't have books. How did you know the message of Torah? Because you owned the Torah. You took it out of the cabinet, you unrolled it, and you read it. You learned it. So he therefore says, today one fulfills that mitzvah by purchasing Svarim. You fulfill this mitzvah when we go to the Svarim store and buy Jewish books and have a Jewish library. Now I say you learn a lot about a Jewish home when you walk in and you see what's on display. Is there a bookcase with Jewish books? The basic books of a Jewish home. Is there a Chumash? Is there a Siddur? Is there a Tehillim? Depending on a person's level of knowledge. Shas, Shulchan Aruch, maybe a Tanya. Depending who you are, what books you think are the core books of a Jewish library. A collection of Rabbi Soloveitchik's forum. Whatever one wants to express or position that those are the values that permeate that home. I mean, many homes right away, you see the big flat screen TV, the surround sound. Many homes right away, you see the stereo. Many homes right away, you see the fancy artwork. Many homes right away, you see the, the People magazine on the coffee table. Many homes right... A lot of things when you walk into a home, you learn a lot about that home. The big TV, every room has a TV. What are the magazines? What are the books? What are the, what are the values? What are the messages that this home, if someone were to walk in, what does the home say about those who live within it? So that's this mitzvah. Transform your home to a Jewish home by having a person who walks in say, there's a mezuzah, 
Here, Jewish books. If I need a sitter, I have a sitter. A chumash, I have a chumash. A bencher, I have a bencher. Near the near the near the table where I eat. What makes this home different than uh, being distinguished as a as a Jewish home? Okay, so let's go through the pesukim. There we go. A shorter overview than normal, even for a double parsha. We're going back. We're going back in time. Page 1090. 1090. We're going back to Parshas Nitzavim. I'm sorry, Perak Lamed. Chapter 30, verse Yudala. Verse 11. Chapter 30, verse 11. And why are we going back here? This does not seem like a logical place. Chapter 30, verse 11. Is that a logical place to continue? It's Shishi, but that's not necessarily significant to us. What is significant to us is you see that Samach, I've explained this many, many times. For us, the chapters that we have were given to us by non-Jews. When Christians in particular held disputations, when they wanted to prove, it wasn't, they weren't successful in converting Jews by annihilating us, so they changed their strategy. They thought they could convince us. So they held public disputations in order to convince us that their theology is actually contained within our Bible. Right? The famous one between the Ramban and, and Pablo Cristiano. Pablo Cristiano. But that's, that's the most famous, but it's one of many, many. So when they held the disputations and they wanted to reference the, reference the verses, they needed to come up with chapters and verses. So the origins of the chapters that we refer to are not Jewish. This chapter 30 is not a Jewish demarcation. It's a Christian demarcation. And every time we employ it, we're employing the demarcation that was designed in the disputation to eliminate us. So in fact, I believe Rabbi Soloveitchik used to, he wouldn't call it a peric. He didn't call it as if applying sanctity to it. He called it a capital in the Yiddish. He called it a chapter. He wouldn't, wouldn't call it the, to give it sanctity as if it has some Jewish sanctity to it. But if you see the Samech, that suggests a Jewish demarcation because if you open a Sefer Torah, the art school does a very good job of this, the stone. If you look on the Hebrew text, it's lined up the way the Torah is lined up. So you see the break on the last line on page 1090? That's because you see, we have a Samech in my version. Samech means stumos. It means that it's a new section, but it is close enough to the last section that it continues in the same line. So we have a space to show it's a new paragraph, but a paragraph that continues on the same line. Versus sometimes you have a new paragraph that begins a new line altogether. For example, turn to page 1096. Page 1096 represents a... You would have a pay, because that's not a stumos, that's a psuchos. That is a open. It's a new paragraph that begins on a new line because it's a more significant chapter break. Okay? Who put in the... Yeah, Elias, that's a whole question. It's a big discussion. It's a big discussion. No. So bottom of page 1090. This is the section I want to deal with because Stumos is a Samach. You see it's a new section. It is a logical place to to uh, continue. So the Torah says the following. You don't have the Samach there, but I have it in the Mikros Gedolos, which indicates Stumos. But there is a separation. Sosom. It indicates that it's a new section, but that begins on the same line. Okay. So here... I actually listened to while I was preparing this this morning and I thought about playing it to begin our class. Avram Fried, Avram Fried singing these psukim. Oh, I didn't listen to Avram Fried actually because I googled it and I found Rabbi Manus Friedman singing it with his son which was just as beautiful. Very, very beautiful. Anyway, go home and listen to Rabbi Avram Fried singing these psukim 
as after we've learned them, they will really come alive. He sings them so magnificently. So this is what we're going to examine today. Tempted to sing them, but I will spare you. Says the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu turns to the Jewish people and he says, This commandment that I command you when? Today. It is not hidden from you. And it's not distant. It's not rachok. It's not far off. Lo It's not in the heavens. Don't think it's in the heaven that you conclude. How can I climb? How can I ascend to the heaven to get it? It's not in the heaven for you to think. How can I go to the heaven to hear it, to take it, to do it? Lemor. Nor is it on the other side of the ocean to say Nor is it on the other side of the sea to say Who can cross the sea to get it? Where is it? It's very close to you. Very, very close to Ma'od. Where is it? It's in your mouth. And it's in your heart. Okay, that's the total psukim I want to study today. One, two, three, four psukim. A mitzvah zos. This mitzvah, God, Moshe says that I'm commanding you today. It's not far off. It's not too wondrous. It's not in the heavens. It's not on the other side of the sea. It's very close to you. It's accessible. And do you know where it is, this accessible great mitzvah? It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Very powerful, very beautiful. Even more beautiful when you hear Avram Fried sing it. So, what's the obvious question? Ha mitzvah hazos. Ha mitzvah. Which one? Wow, okay, you've inspired me. <laughs> I might have thought it's inaccessible, it's far off, I can't do it. It's in my mouth, it's in my heart, fantastic. I want to do it. What is it? Which one? What mitzvah? And why would I have thought it's far off? And how in fact is it really in my mouth? What mitzvah is in my mouth? I do a lot of mitzvahs with my hands, with my feet. Well, this is in my mouth. What's going on? Four powerful psukim, only one minor problem. We don't know what in the world they're talking about. When we figure it out, it'll be very powerful. But what in the world is it talking about? Okay. So let's start. Where shall we start? Um, let's start with the Ramban. Nachmanides. Says the Ramban, and you'll see now why this is very timely. The Ramban Nachmanides pasuk Gedal v'Tam ki Mitzvah Hazos al Kol Hatorah Kula. The first suggestion is of the Ramban. You know what this mitzvah is? The whole Torah, everything. Says Moshe, you might be standing here thinking this lifestyle, a lifestyle of observance, a lifestyle of mitzvahs, a lifestyle of a virtuous, meritorious, moral living. It's impossible. It's far off. It's I can't do it all. Details, minutia, expectations. Forget about it. It's impossible. Says the Torah, no. Lo It's in your heart. You could do it. It's in your mouth. Make the commitment. You could do it. Vanachon ki kol haTorah yomar. Says the Ramban. The truth is, it says about the whole Torah. Kol hamitzvah shiranochi mitzav chayom. Aval hamitzvah hazos. But says the Ramban, no. This is not talking about the whole Torah. You know what it's talking about? A mitzvah hazos. We talked about the whole Torah when we said kol a mitzvah, but this says a mitzvah hazos. This mitzvah, one particular mitzvah. What mitzvah? 
al hatshuva, the mitzvah of repentance, repair. I hate the word repentance. It's a Christian term. I don't even know what repentance means. It's a, it's a Christian term. I don't even know what it means. I know what shuva means. The word lashuv means to return, to come back. Right? I want to give Rosh Hashanah Drasha about if I was never there, how am I coming back? Why do we call this process returning? I'm returning to a place I never was. Unless I was there. And I just don't know it. And I'm getting back to it. So tshuva, that's one. Tshuva also means something else. Another year I gave another Rosh Hashanah Drasha. You know what tshuva means? What is a tshuva? An answer. An answer. Our life is filled with so many questions that only we can give the answer to. Right? That Rosh Hashanah Drasha I gave, I had visited somebody in a federal prison, that Elul, a young man who was actually falsely accused of something. It's a scary experience. Powerful one, going to a federal prison in the month of Elul, anticipation of the high holidays. Anyway, and he sat there and he asked me all these questions. Why is this happening to me? And what, why is this happening? Why would God do this to me? And so on. And while he was sitting there, I had no answers. I didn't know what to say to him. And I thought of this. I said, you know what? Only you can give an answer. When you come out of here, and please God, you're exonerated, which in fact he was, what you do with your life and how you learn from this and how it makes you better and what you determine you want to be as a result, you've given an answer to the question of why. God can't give that answer. Your neighbor can't give that answer. Your parents can give that answer. I can't give that answer. Only you. That's the process of tshuva. So maybe what we do on this time of year when we do tshuva is we're giving answers. We're giving an answer to the question of why. Why do I exist and what is it all about? It's the process of giving an answer. So there's a lot of different explanations. The one word I know it doesn't mean is repentance. I don't know what repentance means. It means to return. It means to give an answer. It means to, you know, lashuv is, is to repair the damage, to undo. But, um, but says the Ramban, that's what this section is talking about. You might think it's inaccessible, it's impossible. It's in the heavens, it's on the other side of the sea. No, it is possible. And he continues. You know, there's actually a commandment to do tshuva. It's a mitzvah to do tshuva. I have to keep Shabbos. Got to put on tefillin, got to light the Shabbos candles. Got to hear the shofar, got to sit in the sukkah. Got to give charity to chesed. And there's a mitzvah to do tshuva. If I've done something wrong, if I've made a mistake, if I've damaged a relationship, it's not optional, it's not a nice thing. It's not, well, if you want to repair the relationship, the only way to do it is say you're sorry. No, I have an obligation to repair the relationship with God, to prepare the relationship with my fellow man. And the third realm that we most often forget and neglect is to prepare the relationship with myself. There are three realms of relationships we have in life. Between man and man. Bin Adam Lamakum between man and God, and bin Adam Laatzmo between man and himself or herself. We have to pay attention that, to that relationship and nurture that relationship as well. So this is a mitzvah. I've done damage. It's not just I, I have to repair, whether I want to continue the relationship or not. It says the Ramban, it's hinted to that this is going to happen. God's promised that there will come a time when there's a national call for tshuva. After the Six-Day War, there was a little national call towards this Jewish identity, Aliyah, to be a proud Jew. We've seen movements through Eishat Torah or through Chabad or through other organizations. There are moments in this 
return to Israel of a national call. He says, it means even if we're spread out among the nations, even if we're in exile, not even, especially then we have the capacity to return, to yearn to return. It's not far away from us, it is accessible and possible to us at all times. So says the Ramban, what mitzvah is this? This is the mitzvah of tshuva. This is the mitzvah of tshuva. The Svarno echoes the sentiment. Look at the Svarno. Ravavadya Svarno. Ki mitzvah zos, says the Svarno, hatam she'amarti v'ashevos elavavecha b'chol agayim, she'sarach she'atshuva tiyeh ba'odcha b'galos l'mantashiyahu. Ki amnam zos ha'mitzvah shal tshuva. The, the movement towards tshuva will be even more powerful when we are in exile. When we are in exile. And that's the context of this section is in the part of the Torah where it promises the national call for return. You know when it begins? The Rambam's formula for tshuva means recognition. There has to be the person has to acknowledge their mistake. If you don't acknowledge what you did wrong, you can't hope to not repeat it again. If you don't acknowledge what you did wrong, you can't hope to repair the damage to the relationship. Right? I've mentioned this a million times. When you let your child out of time out, if they've done something wrong, if you don't tell the child, when they say they're sorry, what are you sorry for? You're not a good parent. Oh, you said you're sorry? Fine. Good. Come out. Go back to watching TV. Mm -hmm. A good parent has to say, what are you sorry for? Because time out is not just a punishment. It's a rehabilitation. It's a learning experience. If they can't understand why was I in time out, then they haven't learned from the experience. They may have been punished, but they don't know what to avoid or needs to be repaired or improved or fixed going forward. Or the same what's true for children is true in marriage, right? If a spouse is upset at the other spouse, I've given this example a thousand times, right? The husband says, I'm sorry. The wife says, what are you sorry for? Uh, you know, the thing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for what I said. What did you say? I, I'm sorry. You know. you got to say what you're sorry for or you're not really sorry. Because if you can't verbalize and identify and articulate and acknowledge and be accountable, then how can I believe you really know what you did to me? I can't forgive you until I know that you understand how you hurt me. And I can't know that you understand how you hurt me if you can't identify what you did to hurt me. So that's One has to acknowledge You can't just wishful thinking You can't just move on You can't just let bygones be bygones You can't just say can't we move forward But you have to identify So he says This process of tshuva you might think I need a navi I need a prophet to tell me what I did wrong no, lo It's not so wondrous and concealed from you that you need a prophet. And you know what? It's not so far away from you that you need the wise of the generation to come tell you what you did wrong. All of these, these explaining it from the national collective sense and being in the exile, you don't need a prophet to tell you what it takes to get back to the land of Israel. And you don't need the brilliant, wise scholars of the generation to tell you. It's beficha, it's bevavcha, it's in your heart, it's in your mouth, you know what it is. You need to get it done. 
That's the comment of the of the Sorna. Says Rashi. Let's look at Rashi. Lo niflesi mimcha, lo mechusahi mimcha. Mechusa means concealed, covered. People think, I want to, but I don't know how. I don't know what to do. It's inaccessible. Says the Torah, no, you know. It's not concealed. It's not hidden. It's not far away. Lo bashamayim, he says Rashi. Sheilu haisa bashamayim, haisa tzorach lalo sacharei olamdeh. If it were in the heavens, you'd be obligated to ascend and climb to go after it and to learn it. But you don't have to worry because it's not. It's not in the heavens. Kikaro velecha. It's right near you. Where is it right near you? Where is it right near you? Hatora nitna lachem biksav uvaalpeh. You have it. And where do you have it? Where is the formula? Where is the prescription? Where is the blueprint? Ladies and gentlemen, you're holding it. You're looking at it. You're here today to study it. It's the Torah, says Rashi. You have the written Torah and you have the oral Torah, the cliff notes. And you know why you have it? Because while the rest of the world is struggling and tripping and, and uh, stumbling to try to figure out happiness, meaning, purpose, we have this incredible gift. Shabbos and Yantif, the discipline of kosher, the ethics of business ethics and medical ethics. We have an incredible gift that regulates and teaches us every aspect of our life. As I said, medical ethics and legal ethics, business ethics, interpersonal relationships, a relationship with time, the relationship with space, the relationship with the physical world, a relationship with food. There's no aspect of our life that the Torah does not address. And address in a way which enriches us and lifts us and inspires us when we keep it and don't neglect it and trample upon it and distort it and use it as a weapon and so on. So it says the Torah, Kikaro Lacha. You know what the answer is. It's not Tony Robbins, although I love Tony Robbins. It's not Jim Collins and it's not this self-help book and it's not this psychologist and it's not this fad and it's not this phenomenon and it's not Oprah and it's not... You know what the answer is? Open the book. Live the book. Apply the book. It's the Torah. Family life. Shabbos. Yontif. Interpersonal relationships, don't gossip, lush and hara. Judge others favorably. Success, success is be happy with your lot in life. Study ethics of our fathers. Understand what it means to be rich, is to be happy with what you have. You want to understand happiness, parenting, relationship. It's all in there. It's all in there, the timeless, immortal teachings of Torah. It's right in front of your nose. Don't go to the other section in the Barnes and Noble. It's right in front of your nose. You have it. Open it. Study it. Live it. And you'll find it. That's Rashi. Says the Ibn Ezra. What does it mean? So we saw, what is the Torah? Some say it means all Torah. You might have thought it's so hard. It's impossible to live this life. It's so detail-oriented. so rigorous. So constricted. I can't live this life. Says the Torah. It's not far off. You can do it. The Ramban said, no, it's talking about tshuva specifically. So think about it. The Ramban was saying is, a mitzvah rechoka, you might change. Change is so impossible. You know how hard it is to change? Changing a habit is probably the hardest thing in entire life. Changing a bad habit is probably the hardest thing that we have to face in our lives. It's so hard. Quit smoking, quit coming late, quit losing your patience, quit 
eating unhealthy, quit, start exercise. It's so hard. Change is so hard. But the answer is Beficha Uvelvavcha. Says the Torah, it's not so hard. Kikaro Velacha. You could do it. It's near. You have the capacity. You have the ability. And where is it found, that capacity? In your mouth and in your heart. Where is that, says the Ibn Ezra? All of mitzvos, their core, their primary, is found where? In the heart. When you do a mitzvah, you're not just supposed to sit in a sukkah. You sit in the sukkah and you think about, I'm protected in the shelter of God. I'm exposing myself to the elements, but God will take care of me as He did when they sat in these booths in the desert. When I hear the shofar, it's an alarm, it's awakening me to examine my life, to reflect, to change. When I wrap the tefillah in my arm and my head, I think about directing my emotions and my intellect to God. When I light the candles, I think about bringing light into my life, peace into my home. When I pray, I think about turning to God and asking for His help or expressing my appreciation or telling Him my disappointment. It's in the heart. When we lack heart and we go through motions, we're certainly not going to have feeling. The real purpose of mitzvahs is where? Not in the hands and the feet. It's in the heart. But sometimes what do you need in order to awaken your heart? You need your words. You need your mouth. Sometimes to awaken your heart. And how do you awaken your mouth sometimes? With actions. So I, I do this mitzvah so that I'll make the bracha or talk about it which helps me open up my heart to feel something in doing it. But the real place, the real destination of change, the real destination of meaning is not in my hands and my feet. It's not even in my mouth. The real destination of meaning is, the real address of meaning is my heart. It's my heart. That's what God wants. He wants our heart. He wants our heart. Says the Svarno Bafiha Uvavavcha La Soso, he says, no. You know what it means? If this mitzvah that we're talking about is tshuva, is the process of repair and return, is the process of, of giving an answer, so where is it found? In your mouth and in your heart. It means, if you're a genuine person, you genuinely feel bad when you've hurt someone in your heart. Not just with your lips. Right? So, it's with your lips and your heart. Where your lips is where you do the vidui, which is what we're going to get to in a moment. With your lips is where you say vidui. What's vidui? Confession. That's ours. They stole it from us. Confession. We have a mitzvah of confession. The mitzvah of confession is not to sit in a booth opposite some screen and tell someone else everything you did wrong. That's not confession. That'd be entertaining. Might be more enjoyable for my job. But that's not the mitzvah. The mitzvah of confession is to God, but really it's to yourself. And this mitzvah actually is, is the mitzvah. The Rambam, Maimonides writes in Hilchus Tshuva, the Rambam writes, Every mitzvah in the Torah, positive or negative, If a person violates one, by accident or on purpose, When you do tshuva, it's a fascinating formulation of the Rambam, right? He doesn't say, if you do tshuva, here's how. He says, when you do tshuva. Isn't that interesting? He attributes to every human being a natural desire to want to fix what they broke. 
So he doesn't say, if you do tshuva, here's the way to do it. He says, when you will do tshuva, this is the way you should do it. Fascinating, right? So what's the way to do it? When you come back, when you return, you're obligated to confess. You have to articulate what you did wrong. This is the obligation of confession with words. Says the Rambam Maimonides, this confession is a positive biblical commandment. And without it, you haven't done tshuva. Without it, you have not done tshuva. Isn't that incredible? So if in my heart I know I did something wrong, and if I pledge to never do it again in the future, but I've never verbally said what I did, I gossiped, I judged that person unfavorably, I was jealous of that person, I stole, I cheated on my income tax, I reported this as a business expense when I shouldn't, I told them at Disney my kid was three years old when he was five years old. I, if I didn't articulate, if I don't verbalize, if I don't say out loud what I've done, then even if I commit to never do it again, I've not done tshuva. It's incredible. So that's the b'ficha. That's in my mouth. But it's not enough to just verbalize what I've done and not feel it in my heart. That's in the heart. That's what this forno says. Bilvavcha is lahakir bilvavecha, to feel it in your heart, to recognize it in your heart. And lehisvado says that b'ficha, but to confess it, to say it, to address it with your lips. Why do you have to address it with your lips? Why do you have to say it out loud? Why is it that if you have not said it out loud, you haven't done anything? You need to internalize it. Internalize it? I think about it. I'll reflect about it. I feel it. I'll meditate about it. Why do I have to say it? So you can to correct it. To correct it. To hear what you said, right? So let me read to you the Rav's words. Rabbi Salavechik and al Rabbi Salavechik and al says the following. Feelings, emotions, thoughts, and ideas become clear and are grasped only after they are expressed in sentences bearing a logical and grammatical structure. As long as one's thoughts remain repressed, as long as one has not brought them out into the open, no matter how sublime or exalted they may be, they are not truly yours. They are foreign and elusive. The heart is deceitful above all things and it is exceedingly weak. Who can know it, said Jeremiah. Yermio did not mean one cannot know what it is in the heart of others, and others cannot know what's in your heart. The man does not know for sure what's in his own heart until his feelings and thoughts become crystallized and are given shape and form in the unusual modes of expression. Repentance contemplated and not verbalized is valueless, said the Rav. Repentance contemplated and not verbalized is valueless. In other words, we bluff ourselves in our hearts all day long. We bluff ourselves. We think we came to the conclusion we didn't realize, really. We gave ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We're dishonest with ourselves about who we are and what we've done and how we feel. We can bluff ourselves in our heart, but we can't bluff ourselves when we put it out there, when we say it with words. Why do some people keep a diary? Why does it feel good to write that email even if you never send it, but you needed to get it off your chest? When you put it in words, it becomes real, it's tangible, you can deal with it, you can look at it, you can read it, you can hold it, you can point to it. It's real, right? In the Rav's words. If it's in your heart, it's foreign, it's elusive, no matter how sublime or, 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 or uh, exalted. But only when you put it in sentences, the logical and grammatical structure, now it's real. 
Now I can deal with it. Now I've heard it. Now it's crystallized. Now it's given shape. Now it's given form. Now I can address it. Now I can address it. It's in my heart. Ah, I bluff it. I deny it. I think I came to the conclusion I didn't really... It's contemplated. It's not verbalized and therefore it's valueless. And that's why the Rav says, the Rambam says, confess in words with his lips. Give voice to those matters which he has resolved in his heart. And That's the Rav and Allah Tshuva. You have to correct it then. Of course. I mean, Vidur alone is not enough. It's not enough. If I stand there and say, I hurt you, I took all our money, I went to the Hard Rock Casino, I gambled it away, I'm wrong, I'm weak, I have a gambling addiction, I can't believe I hurt you in that way, I'll never do it again. And that night I'm at the casino again, my confession is nothing. Exactly. But if I never go to the casino again, but I never turn to you and said, I hurt you when I lost all of our money because I had a gambling problem, then I have never repented. I've repented. I have never restored our relationship. I've never repaired. Even if I never went to the casino again. Because I've never confronted the reality of my weakness, of what I did wrong. I've never been truly accountable for it. I've never validated how I made you feel. You know, this is what I wrote about this past week in, 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 the, in, my, in the weekly and on the blog, that this whole issue that the Jewish world is confronting right now, the scandal of abuse, people who've suffered abuse... This is my, thank God I don't have direct knowledge, but from what I've read and consulted with experts and spoken to victims and understand, is that victims cannot begin to heal without validation and without accountability. So even if the Jewish community were to say, we'll make sure it never happens again in the future, but fail to, in retrospect, say, to, to validate, we failed you, this is where we went wrong, this is how it happened, we neglected to protect you. And we are accountable. And this is who we're holding accountable. The failure to do so, victims can never go on. Even if there's a commitment to make sure it won't happen again. It's a misnomer. I've seen people write, well, the important thing is that we make sure it doesn't happen again. That's the greatest thing we can give victims. And that's the most important thing. Sure, it's really important. Of course, it's critically important that we ensure it never happened again. But it's not enough. It's not enough in the Rambam's process of tshuva. It's not enough in our own interpersonal relationships with others. Right? Somebody has an affair on their wife and they walk up to her and say, look, I had the affair. But let it go. I'm telling you right now, it will never happen again. And they never address and they're never accountable and they never confess and they never... Say, I'm sorry. How's that relationship going to look? Is she going to go, okay, look, as long as you've made a plan why it'll never happen in the future, we don't need to talk about the past. I don't think that's going to happen. And if it happens, I don't think they're going to have a very meaningful marriage. If a relationship was damaged, hurt, there needs to be accountability, there needs to be confession, there needs to be, one needs to validate the feelings and the emotions and the hurt. Otherwise, one can't go on. And that's what the Torah is telling us. Beficha. If you don't articulate, if you don't validate, if you don't eloquently put it out there, then you haven't fulfilled this problem, this, uh, this uh, obligation. It's critically important. Let me read to you the, the words of Rav Hirsch. Says Rafersh about this, Bafiha, in your mouth. The first step of tshuva, which is the most essential, and at the same time the most difficult, is vidu, the confession. Or rather, the admission to oneself that one has sinned. It is not God who needs an avowal or confession from us. He knows us through and through. God didn't need you to say what you did wrong. If anyone knows it, it's God. Says Rafersh, you're not standing there saying it for God. In fact, better than we know ourselves. But we ourselves are very much in need of honest and unreserved confession. 
It is to our own selves that we must admit that we have done wrong. For without such a confession to ourselves, we can never become better. It is a difficult admission indeed for a man to make. There is within each and every one of us a small defender who is ready at all times to deny outright that we have done wrong at all. Or at least to try to make excuses to mitigate, to cloak our transgressions. That's what I was saying. When we think about it in our heart, in the same sentence that we a little bit admit we did something wrong, we're already making excuses and defending and mitigating. We have a little defender within us, says Rafersh. In this manner, our defender veils from our eyes the true picture of ourselves as we really are, but by so doing also effectively blocks the path to our betterment. Therefore, the first and the most essential and indispensable part of the confession that we must make to ourselves is, We have sinned. That's what we're going to be doing, ladies and gentlemen. Not Rosh Hashanah, we begin Slichos this Motzei Shabbos. What's the end of Slichos is all about confession. Then we say Slichos on between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur is all about confession. And what is Yom Kippur all about? Not just the generic confession in the Machzor, right? Ashamnu Baganu, ay, 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 ay. That's not what it's all about. The Rav had a great word on that, by the way. He said the Rav. What bizarre is it that we're singing it to a happy tune? You know, we never think about it because we sing it in the Hebrew. Sing it in the English. We have sinned, we failed you. So for another time, Rabbi Salavechik had an answer to that. But the point is, it's not enough to generically say that. What we're supposed to do is sit down, put pen to paper, and fulfill this obligation by actually identifying where did we go wrong this year? What do we want to work on? God, I failed you this year because I stopped coming to shul. I failed you, I wasn't as careful what I put in my mouth. I wasn't as careful what I took out of my mouth. My taxes weren't what they were supposed to be. I looked at things I shouldn't have looked at. God, I... To specifically put it down, and when we come to shul, in the machzor, stick that piece of paper, and that's what we should be thinking about throughout the davening. That's what makes Yom Kippur a cathartic, rehabilitative experience. The real vidui. Like Rav Hirsch says so beautifully, to squash and extinguish the defender inside us. And how do you get rid of that defender, that defender that puts us in a state of denial? Denial is not just a river in Egypt. How do we get rid of that defender? When you begin, God, no excuses. I failed. Made a mistake. Period. End of sentence. If the sentence continues, I failed, but I'm better now and I'm making sure it's never going to happen in the future. Aval anachnu chatanu. Period. End of sentence. Next sentence can begin. Here's how I'm going to make sure it won't happen again. And I feel tremendous remorse and shame right now. But I have to be willing to say, Aval anachnu chatanu. Otherwise, otherwise I've not accomplished. Right? Refresh writes elsewhere. So long as you deceive yourself with regard to your sin, so long as you refuse to recognize that you have sinned, so long as you hear a voice within you glossing over and excusing your wrongdoing, so long as you do not clearly and faithfully see yourself as you are, and your sin and its consequences which you have already suffered, which according to strict justice you must still expect, then you have not yet taken the first step to return. Therefore, cast away the deception. Don't listen to the extenuating voice within you. Have the courage to see yourself as you are. That's what Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, that's what Elo is about. Have the courage to see yourself as you are. Learn the kind of life which the Torah demands and compare with it your own. And wherever you find any divergence, make no mistake. Sin is there. Learn what the Torah expects of you. Compare what your life looks like next to it. 
and recognize that any variance, it's because we failed. It's because we failed. And Rafersh goes on and describes very, very beautifully. So that's what that's what this section is uh, is all about. Let's look at the Kliyakar. So now, even before we look at the Kliyakar, let's reread these Pesukim together. Moshe tells them, it's high expectations of you, my friends. You're going into the land of Israel. God's given you this Torah. It's got hundreds or thousands of mitzvahs. You are to be a light unto nations. You're to teach the world what it means to be disciplined, to strive for sanctity, to be a holy people, to be a people of integrity and honesty. You're to set up a society of ethical business dealings and, and impeccable interpersonal relationships and holiness and sanctity. That's who you are. That's who you're supposed to be. And you know what? You're going to make mistakes and you're going to fail and you're going to come up short because you're human. You're human. I don't remember if I... Did I share this last week in the Pasha class? Dafyomi had about two weeks ago the Gemara that listed things that were created before the world was created. Did I mention that here? No. Among that list of things that are created before the world was created is tshuva. Tshuva. The capacity to return. God created it before He created the world. What does that mean? For God, there was no timeline. God operates outside of time. What does it mean that God created the world? The fourth parakah of God created the world... First he created Shuvah. What does that mean? God doesn't operate in time. Because he knows we're vulnerable people. So I understand it to mean, even before God created his world, Shuvah is not a concession to man. God didn't create a world and then say, I really expect people to be perfect, but since they're imperfect, I better figure out a way out for them. You know what? I have to create this thing called Shuvah. It's the way out. No, God said before he created the world, I'm creating an imperfect people. I'm creating a frail, vulnerable, deficient people. And therefore, before creation itself, I'm creating the mechanism for them to return, to restore, to repair. Shuva was created before the very world. So Moshe turns to the people and he says, Zos, this, I'm setting up a lot for you, Hayom. And you're going to fail. But you should know the capacity to change, to return, to repair. It's not concealed. It's not wondrous. It's not miraculous. It's not supernatural. It's not impossible. Velo rechokehi, and don't say I got to fly over there. I've got. It's you know. I'd have to, to to change my diet. To start exercising. To be more careful with my speech. To start keeping Shabbos a little more carefully or kashrus. Loba shemayim. It's not in the heavens. Lemor mi alenu hashemayma. To start keeping kosher is not impossible. That I say I got to climb to the heavens. No. It's not on the other side of the sea to stop gossiping, being more careful what you look at. That you say, I can't do it. Change, it's within you. You can be a different person. Don't say like we spoke about last Rosh Hashanah, it's not me. Say, it can be me. It is me. It is me to be healthy. It is me to be on time to shul. It is me to be nice. It is me to extend myself. It is me to do chesed. But where is that capacity for change? Where does it begin? with your mouth. Think of refresh. It begins by getting rid of the defender within you. It begins by seeing you as you really are, not as you wish you were. It begins with the Rav's words when you articulate it with a grammatical structure and a sentence so that it's real, not valueless, but valuable. And it's in your heart. This is all describing the mitzvah of tshuva. Says the Kliyakar. Says the Kliyakar. 
ולא רחוק ההיא. לפי שאומר רז"ל, הרבי סטורס גמר נאום הפה ו' היכי דמי בעל תשובה, הרי דו תשובה. כגון שבו מייסא לידו בפרש ממנה. To be in the exact same circumstances again and not to repeat the behavior. Last week someone had juicy Lashon Hara, so he said, Nu, tell me, and you repeated it. This week someone has juicy Lashon Hara, gossip, and you say, I'm not interested. That's tshuva. Last week you couldn't help yourself and you ate something even though it didn't really have the proper hechsher. You failed to make the bracha, the blessing before. This time you're about to eat. You say, you know what? I'm not eating that until I can clarify if it's kosher. You know what? I got to make the blessing first. So says the Kliyakar, what is tshuva? To be in the same situation and not to do it. Macha Rav Yehuda Bosa Perak Vosa Makam Vosa Isha. So Rav Yehuda adds, no, you know what complete tshuva is? You got to be, the Gemara is dealing with an example, the extreme example. A man had an affair, inappropriate relations with a woman. So the first opinion says, you know what tshuva Gemara is? He sees another pretty woman and he has thoughts, but he says, not doing it, not doing it. Says Rav Yudin, no, 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 that's not tshuva. You know what tshuva is? He's alone with the same woman, with the same opportunity. She has the same interest in him. They're all alone again. It's the same woman. And he says, no, not interested. So if you sinned on a business trip to China, now you're back in Boca, you say, I can never really do tshuva. If it means being with the same woman in the same circumstance, the same... Until I go back to China, it's Mevalayam, it's on the other side of the sea, it's impossible. <coughs> so what are you going to say? There's no point. I can't do tshuva. I can never be in the exact same circumstance, so I can't do tshuva. Says it's not true. You can do tshuva even without being in the exact same circumstance. Where is the tshuva found? In your mouth with vidui, confession, and in, your and in your heart with regret, with remorse, with shame. The az dailacha bezeki picha vavacha makam achet. He says that's enough, because you know where change happens in your mouth and in your heart. Kilev huta litauscha. Your heart was what led you astray to begin with. It's what needs to be repaired. If your heart were, had been fortified, if your heart had been strong, you would have looked at that woman and said, absolutely not, no interest. If your heart was strong, you'd look at that juicy gossip and say, thanks, not for me. If your heart was strong, you'd stand at the, the line the cashier with Disney and say, my kid's five years old, full fare. Why did you make the mistake to begin with? Because your heart was soft. It was weak. You were weak. So where does repair happen? By strengthening the heart. It was an exaggeration. It was for emphasis to say you have to be with the same woman in the same place in the same temptation. But without that, you can still repair. How? By addressing it with your mouth, articulating your mistake, and then strengthening your heart, which was the area of weakness that led to the problem to begin with. Alright, so we saw what this section is really talking about is not the totality of Jewish life, but specifically our mitzvah right now of tshuva. It's a mitzvah, it's not optional, we have to repair. The methodology of repair begins with the mouth for the reasons the Rav and Refresh gave us, and then continues with the heart, the change of heart, remorse, regret, shame, and a commitment to make sure it never happens again in the future. Have a great week.